Heyo, you're listening to Edge Coach Quip, featuring our very own edge coaches and community, dropping knowledge nuggets to fuel your day. Hello, and welcome to episode 105 of Coach Quip. I'm Coach Robin. I'm Coach Chris. And today we're talking about running form cues. Perfect timing. This is a mid-season of marathon. Not that there's there's never a bad time to focus on our form, actually. And that's true for everyone, right? Whether yeah. you're a beginner or a pro or just a fan, uh, there are <laughs> always going to be things that we can do to look for and improve. All of our bodies are different. I always say nobody is symmetrical, not one person. So there's not one way to have perfect running form, but that doesn't mean that we can't follow some general guidelines on how to tweak things, make them better, a little bit more efficient, a little bit more symmetrical. Uh, The best way to check your run form is by getting a a biomechanical or run form analysis. What is that? Yes. Funny you should ask. We do do those here. Um, what it, it, it entails is effectively a coach looking at your form, usually recording you, and then um, suggesting some cues or changes, and then re-recording you to, to view those changes, maybe checking in with you four to six weeks after. Uh, the way that we roll is we get you on a treadmill. We don't tell you what we're looking for, but we have you run through your pace card. If you don't have a pace card, we help you come up with one. Um, and we film you in slow-mo. It takes, you're really not running for any more than about a mile at a time. If you need to take breaks, you totally can. You bring in any shoes you normally run in. I like tighter, shorter, closer fitting clothing so we can see your lines. Um, And then we get you off of that treadmill, kind of show you what we were looking for, give you a few tweaks, never more than like two to four because you get pretty flooded pretty easily. Mm -hmm. And then we get you back on, rerun you show you the before and after, and then you get a big, beautiful write-up. And I think it's really nice to see people, you know, people are able to see their strengths, their weaknesses, and then really where they can put those tweaks into their running. Yeah, and I think it's so important that you you said that we don't tell them what we're looking for. So if you hear this episode and then want to come in for a run analysis, don't overthink it because it's so important to just run naturally like you normally would without overthinking or trying to correct because we really want to see you and how you run in your most original form. Uh, like, like Coach Robin just said, that there's not just one way to run properly. If you look at a pro race, I mean, you could pick any distance of pro races, there will be all sorts of running form. Yeah. There are some runners who are the fastest of the fast that I look at as a coach and go, Ooh. how? Yeah. <laughs> how is it that possible that they can move so quickly, but each person's body is different? So. Uh, One thing that we look for in those running analysis is a couple of mistakes, right? Things that people can correct. And so I'll tell you a couple of the common ones that we see, uh, starting off with overstriding. So a lot of runners overstride in thinking that moving their leg out further in front of their body will help them get faster. And in theory, yes, extending your stride can help you gain some speed. But if you are landing with your foot out in front of your knee or in front of your body, you're essentially putting on the brakes. Um, Here's me looking at my foot, not that you can see my foot, but (laughs) um, you're essentially putting on the brakes every time that you step forward, you're stopping yourself as opposed to keeping that momentum moving forward. So we wanna make sure that we're not striking too far out in front of our bodies. Another common mistake that we see is a really low cadence, and cadence is your amount of leg turnover. So we're gonna have some paces that we do that are naturally gonna be a, a little bit slower of a cadence for us. But if your cadence on the whole tends to lean towards a a lower number, that is an area of improvement. Um, We wanna minimize that ground contact that we're having. 
Another common mistake is wasted energy. So wasting your energy uh, by either vertical oscillation, which would be moving more up and down like a pogo stick as opposed to moving forward, or having a wild arm swing. So if people are moving their arms across their body, uh, all of that is wasted energy. And one little nugget that always stuck with me from a vertical oscillation, and again, that's the pogo stick example, is if you have a ton of vertical oscillation, like an unnatural amount, you can run over the course of a marathon upwards of an extra 10K up and down. <laughs> it, it does not help you to run up and down when you're trying to run 26.2 forward. So minimizing that is in everybody's best interest. Yeah, we don't want to be running an ultra if you were intending on running yeah, a marathon. But so. it you could. <laughs> so trying to think about running underneath the ceiling, you're moving your energy forward as opposed to up and down. And we have definitely all seen those runners outside passing us on the lakeshore path or on the sidewalk when we're in the car who are just boinging along, just you know popping up and down. We want to minimize that movement. And then the final um, common error that we see in running is running too stiff. So running with a super stiff shoulders or super stiff hips and having it look really robotic or unnatural. Um, we need to make sure that we have that natural sway in our body. So those are four things that we commonly see in our run analysis and all of them have pretty easy fixes. Yeah. Um, fixes that are measurable, that you can implement slowly into your training that won't disrupt the rest of your running. And that's the whole purpose of the run analysis to help you improve your best run form uh, that's right for your body. So if you're looking to make changes, really, a really great rule of thumb is to not try to change everything at once, which is also why when we do analyses, we're not necessarily giving you 18 things to work on because you, there's no way that you could change them all at once. So doing one thing at a time um, and you know, making sure that it still feels comfortable could feel weird, that's okay, but it should also feel comfortable. Different is okay. So next up in the bonus miles, we have a checklist that will take us from head to toe of things that you can go through cue-wise to maximize your run efficiency. Stay tuned. All right, bonus mile time. We're taking you head to toe run form cues. First up, as promised, your head. So when we're running, the weight differential of our head relative to our spine is actually pretty amazing. Um, if you've heard me during any type of run analysis, you've heard me say this, it is the difference of a bowling ball to a toothpick. So when you are running, imagine that. So anytime we have inefficiencies in our head, we are really wreaking inefficiencies all the way through our body. And so we want to keep it pretty and stable and sturdy no matter what when it comes to our head. It is, it is a big piece. <laughs> that is so wild. If you think about that, especially now with so many people having text neck yep. or our forward posture from our constant hours seated or looking at our phones, when that doesn't just go away when we start our run. So the impact of that can be pretty severe on a person's body if they have that bad run form. And having awareness of it is one thing. The other thing, side note, is just strength training and making mm -hmm. sure that we have the appropriate shoulder, upper back muscles, neck muscles that are able to keep everything drawn down and back so that we can have it in the right position. So cueing it is one thing, but having the proper strength in our upper bodies is quite another, which is why strength training is so important. All right, so you want your head always kind of balanced right over your neck 
We don't want it pushed forward or held back. We can't tell you how many times, especially late in a marathon specifically, we will see people coming all the way out here trying to find some intensity, and usually with some really big strain on their neck and jaw, or they are just collapsed down with it in front of their bodies. Mm-hmm. Please, please, please keep your bowling ball stacked on your toothpick. I like to take my two little um, fingers and put them on my chin and kind of push my chin down and back. It does not look pretty if you're watching us on YouTube, <laughs> um, but it certainly gets your head in the right position in terms of where you want your gaze you want it somewhere 20 ish feet ahead of you somewhere on the horizon so we hear this a lot for people who when they get onto trail they'll be like oh my neck is so sore because they're looking straight down right there's a lot to be gained with that skill of having a nice neutral head with your eyes just cast gently downward so that you can can do a ground check right if you're running on road you're not really going to need to check as much um, you know, somewhere like 60 to 90 feet ahead of you. If you're running trail, you're going to need it a little bit more dialed in just to make sure that, you know, you can navigate your terrain, but your head does not need to follow where your eyes go. Um, and then relaxing your jaw and your face. We see this all the time in strength classes too, especially when people are trying to do upper body and core, that they'll just like death clutch their jaw and then you'll see, you know, veins popping in the neck. And we want to keep that as relaxed as possible. If we do not relax our jaw and our face, we will actually have that tension resonate all the way through our hips and our knees. So we want to keep, what I always shout at people, is I want to see your jowls flapping in the wind. So especially when you're running hard, that is when people try to find tension in weird places like your jaw and your face. Instead, think about a nice loose jaw and that you want, I mean, if we take a picture of you, I want it to look ugly in your face. I don't want it to look like you're posing. We want to see almost like that ripple because it means that we have some nice, easy, easy, easy use of that neck. And of course your head's on top of your spine, but we're not completely clenching ourselves to get there. I'm cracking up over here. I'm trying to not ruin the audio for, <laughs> for the listeners, but um, I'm, I'm thinking back to, you said the photos, if we took a photo of you, what would it look yeah. like? And I'm thinking back to my race photos and I have seen so many of my own personal flaws in my running form, yeah. particularly in those uh, getting close to the finish line photos where the form dig starts deep, to break down. Deep, yeah. Right, and in some of them have been the chin up, like gasping for air. That was a strength training issue for me. Uh, another one is, you know, there are so many photos of me looking like my skin is falling off my face, and those are actually, actually good. horrible photos, but really great run yeah. form. In one of the things that I often tell myself is just to relax. So relax my face, relax my shoulders, relax my arms. You know, like just going through. For me, the biggest checklist is to relax. And those photos where my, you know, all of my cheeks are just flopping around were actually some of my best races, yeah. but the worst photos. Yeah, so. we want those jowls flapping in the wind. <laughs> Send us your ugly run pictures. We want to see them. Oh, that would be amazing. We definitely should do that. <laughs> Please send them in. He's starting. With his <laughs> <first>. <laughs> I can do that. All right. So that is about your head. Moving on now down to the shoulders. Um, Again, relax your shoulders. We want to make sure that your shoulders are not at your ears and that your ears are off your shoulders. So relaxing the shoulders, letting them go back and down and keeping them relaxed. Uh, We often see that as people start to pick up their speed and they're increasing the arm swing, that the shoulders go up as well. So again, that tension in the neck, we want to make sure that that is relaxed. Um, That plays into the arm swing as well because we want to make sure that the shoulders are relaxed to move the arms. We want to make sure that we are keeping space across our chest. So for the same reason that my chin went up 
to try to breathe, I also probably had some rounded shoulders that were happening. So we wanna make sure that the shoulder blades are back and down, space across the collarbones so that you have a big wide open chest to get that air in as you are hustling. I love that proud chest cue, mm-hmm. right? Because especially when you're doing something hard, that's when, you know, like intensity or maybe a long tempo, that's really where we're gonna to start to pull them forward. Yeah. So as you come into those harder efforts, thinking proud chest, is going to be just a wonderful reset to be able to roll those shoulders back and upside you can take in more air because your lungs are going to be that much more open yeah and proud chest as a as a cue for you is not to push your chest out and and like you're going to cross a finish line with it first but more about posture right about being nice and tall and open and having that confident posture and posture is so important to running form as well all right next up Arms. I am philosophically as a run coach, I really believe in top down. I think that what we're doing on our upper body is really dictating what our lower body does and that we can make some pretty amazing changes to our lower body by being aware of what our upper upper body is doing, which is great because, you know, our arms are closer to our head. So we are able to effectuate change with our upper body a little bit easier than trying to message all the way down to our toes. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to arms, um, and we can check ourselves on this first one, which is creating a triangle of light. So if you're watching on YouTube, I'm turning to the side, my elbow's driving behind my body, and I truly have a triangle from my armpit to my elbow, all the way to where my hand is closer to my waist. We want to create that triangle of light, specifically even more so at higher speeds where we're needing more power behind our body. Here's a pro tip, if you're ever tired in a race, Think about triangle of light and driving your elbows back. If you drive your elbows back forcefully, your legs have to follow. They have no choice. You are creating a slingshot and they have to follow through. So that is that is your nugget for the entire day. You can probably stop listening now. <laughs> but don't, but don't. <laughs> All right, next up, um, on those elbows, we want them relaxed. So again, when we go for the triangle of light, we don't want to create a lot of tension, specifically in that bicep through the elbow, but we do want it to have a nice kind of relaxed state and have it feel almost like fluid It's part of the swing. Um, we're moving, essentially, it's a pendulum, right, that's moving from your shoulder in opposite leg you don't have to worry about that opposite leg rolling through your body knows what to do but that is what's happening so think about you know you're holding it at the top from your shoulder and it's literally swinging back and forth back and forth back and forth in terms of where your arm should be from the front side is we do want them right our our waistline is a waistline for exactly that it's meant to kind of have our arms swing through whether we're walking or running through that specific area so you don't need to like shove them into your sides but we don't want them i on trail especially when i'm finding trying to find um, stability i'll i'll be a little chicken wing and have my elbows flapping out not so helpful you need it a little bit for stability but i definitely overdo it and i have to tell myself Get your elbows tucked, you know, back in, right? Yeah, little little baby chicken. Um, our runners will actually cluck at me sometimes. So we want them actually grazing by our side. You should feel them, especially if you're on a pretty navigable terrain and you're running fast, like a 5K, you should feel them right there. Um, and really thinking about the fact that your arm swing is driving what's happening with your cadence, which we'll get to in a second, but we need your arms to dictate what the legs do from a turnover standpoint. So when in doubt, drop and drive. Yeah, I think hearing you do a run analysis where you told a runner to sync up their arms to the cadence instead of syncing up their feet kind of changed my perspective on that. It was such a helpful tip. 
because oftentimes when we're thinking about picking up our cadence, we're thinking about matching our footfalls to that step, you know, to try to increase our speed. But really, we drastically underestimate the amount of uh, impact that the arms have on on running. So also a tip for folks to do your strength training because you might be thinking about running as a lower body exercise, but it is so much about being able to have those muscles in your back to keep that posture, your arms nice and strong. So total body workouts, strength training is where it's at. There's one tonight at 6 p.m. <laughs> okay, next up is your hands. So what do you do with your hands? We want to make sure our hands are relaxed. Uh, no little fists of death. We should not have white knuckles. We need to make sure that we are not clenching our fists and wasting energy here when we need the energy in the rest of our body. Um, you had a potato chip trick. What is, what yeah, is the potato this, chip this trick? This is a great one to always think because, again, similar to what people do with their jaws, to your point, though, a lot of times... Find, try to find some intensity in their fists mm -hmm. and all the way through their wrists and that let me tell you definitely goes all the way up to your shoulder yeah. so when you are pressing the pace or needing to focus on keeping something loose thinking about holding a very thin lays right not like a big chunky <laughs> tortilla chip but something very kind of fragile and thin in between your middle finger and your thumb and that is really kind of the correct running hand that's how much tension we should be applying not a lot Keep the chip. Yeah, so a loose fist then um, depends, you know, whatever is comfortable. But I've definitely seen runners, uh, there are some gun runners. So yeah, some, is that know, a term? Gun, well, I like that. It's my term. Yeah. I don't know if that's a, you know, the, if you're listening to this, you know, making the little gun with your hand, um, I definitely know that there are some like stiff fingered runners. Um, and we see that with sprinters, right? So sprinters yeah. will often open up their hands. Um, I don't know. If, they think it's more aerodynamic or it's just you're so focused, but um, that's not the way we should be running any sort of 5K or longer effort. We want the relaxed hands and then also where your hands fall. So we want to make sure that those fingernails are kind of scraping your waistband or scraping across the top of your hips as you are driving those hands back. And that will help cue you with the appropriate level of tension in your elbow as well to make sure that that arm is nice and relaxed and just skimming your side. Putting your chips in your pocket. Chips in your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next up is your pelvis, right? Moving down your body. Um, your pelvis is interesting because as you run, remember in the beginning part of this, in the quit part, we were talking about running stiff and how detrimental it can be. We really actually need your hips to be moving in a figure eight right? It, everything with running has quite a bit of swivel because think about what's happening. It's our opposite arm and leg hitting the ground one leg at a time with two to three times your body weight and then having to slingshot forward to go to the next one. So we have to have a fair amount of swivel. So we want to try to keep those hips level and not forward too much. More importantly, not back too much. We see a lot of runners in that back seat um, so that we can effectively move forward, right? Move forward with that nice little swivel. We don't need to have a huge, huge, huge arch in our low back. This is not to say to try to straighten it out, especially like with me, I'm pretty lordotic. I don't ever think like, oh, tuck my pelvis. But I do know that if I'm leaning too far back, I'm going to have way too much of an arch in my low back, which means I'm kind of breaking every single time I'm taking a step. So we want to try to keep it nice and level with no crazy arch. Um, and really, you know, moving your hip from your pelvis is really, is really, really important. That's where it is connected. So not leaning excessively forward or backward, but rather thinking good posture, right? And that's going to keep that pelvis nice and neutral, not tucked or tilted, but neutral. Uh, we often say when it comes to good posture that we want to pretend that there's a string 
something pulling us up to the sky um, that's coming from the top of our head. And, and I guarantee you that if you do that before even like a stride drill, you're going to notice your, your pelvis just get a little bit more neutral with a very gentle little forward lean that will get you into the right position. All of that actually keeps a nice neutral spine to support your head. Yeah, we see a lot of the hip problems um, when we have knee problems or ankle problems, you know, all of this is connected up the kinetic chain. And so sometimes we'll be able to tell if a runner has a tweaky knee or a bad ankle by the way that they move their hips in our running analysis. All right, moving on to your feet and your legs. So talking now about the full lower body. So your knee drive, we often talk about our knee drive. When you are running, you are pushing off your foot and driving that knee forward. We wanna make sure that we're not driving too far forward and that that momentum is moving us in a forward direction, not in an up or skipping direction. Um, while we do skips as part of our warm up drills, we wanna make sure that we are skipping forward when we are actually running. Our foot should land right underneath, uh, underneath your knee, and then it should be slightly in front of your body or under your center of gravity. Back to the quip portion, we wanna make sure that we're not driving that leg so far forward and our foot so far forward that we're putting on the brakes as we're taking each stride. I think to this is always confusing for runners, right? Because we mm-hmm. say over everyone's told heel strike is bad, heel strike is bad. There is a difference though between overstriding and a little bit of heel strike. Having your foot strike a little bit isn't the end of the world because it's actually telling you the back of your leg what the heck to do, right? Mm-hmm. Upon upon hitting the ground, but having it so far forward that we're actually applying those brakes and creating quite a jarring motion for your ankles, knees hips all the way up the chain, that's where we want to avoid it. Yeah, and so that's a great point about footfall. We want to make sure that we are landing in a way that feels comfortable to us. And if that does mean that you are on your heels, that's not the worst thing in the world as long as you're not doing that overstriding. Most runners with great form land on that midfoot. It's just a a more natural landing point underneath your knee. But we want to make sure that we're not going too far on the toes also. Now, again, if you happen to be a heel striker or a toe or ball of your foot runner and that works for you, then fine. Maybe that is just the way that your body works out and we would look at the rest of the cues up and down your body for indicators of good form and places that you could be more efficient. But if you're trying to switch your form from say heel striking to a more forward foot strike, Um, you will find that that actually has really severe impacts on your calves because you have to think if you are running five miles and it's the equivalent of doing calf raises for five miles with all of that impact coming up your leg being absorbed by your calves, you will be in a world of hurt. (laughs) Yeah, and don't do it all at once. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Um, Or don't do it at all because really there's no benefit to running on your toes. You want to be in that natural position that it works for you. And so while we might try to get somebody who has a severe uh, heel strike to move a little bit more forward, it's gonna come with a a lot of other cues about where you land and how your body is positioned, um, what your forward lean looks like and all of that. So uh, we'd, we'd wanna make sure that we are landing in a way that feels comfortable and that allows you to push off of your big toe. So this is another big cue as you are going through, you're rolling through that foot. We wanna make sure that we're utilizing our big toe as we push off. Um, When you're actually doing it, you might not feel the big toe push, or if you do feel the big toe push and it hurts, then then you're pushing too hard. (laughs) But it's more of a cue just to get you to use all of your toes and that, that snap of your foot as you are taking off in your stride. That big toe 
is responsible for 85% of your forward propulsion. Your big toe. It's crazy. It literally snaps the bottom of your foot into action so that it knows, so the rest of your body knows what to do as you're slingshotting forward. So to Coach Chris's point, making sure that you are able to adequately use your toes is super important. Also why things like toe yoga are so powerful because we're able to isolate and drive. Mm-hmm. Google it. Maybe we'll do a toe <laughs> yoga demonstration at some point. I love it. Um, okay, so we want to make sure that we're driving those knees, pushing off of that big toe, that our foot is landing in front of us uh, slightly, but underneath our body and our center of gravity. And then uh, a few more points about the legs would be just to make sure that we have uh, hips that are mobile. And so again, back to the hips, it, it relates to our stride length. And so that's often one of the stretches that I, I probably give it to every single runner that yep. we do an analysis for. Um, we all as runners could use more hip mobility. So that's a, one area that will open up your stride without overstriding. And then making sure that we are limiting our ground contact time by keeping our cadence up. Um, this is one that is easily changed. And we will do a future episode all about cadence coming up soon. But for now, we want to think about just keeping that turnover going. And we, we know when, we're, when our form is breaking apart or if we are getting really tired because we start to feel... Plotting. Yes, yes, that we are doing that sort of Ironman shuffle yep. more than we're doing a run. And so thinking about that cadence and that turnover can be helpful in improving your run form. All right, so to highlight, there's no one right way to run, but you can use cues to optimize your form. So think about going forward more than going up and down or your vertical oscillation. If it's not broke, don't fix it. So if you have a portion of your form that you feel good about that you know looks good in pictures, don't touch it. An important note here is that running shoes can also impact your form. And this is so important, probably should have mentioned it at the top, but if you have a a track shoe that you're using for your speed sessions versus a marathoning super shoe with a carbon plate, those are gonna have very different impacts on your foot's ability to push off or, or how it impacts all the way up your chain. So we wanna make sure that you are thinking about the shoes that you're wearing and know that your form might be slightly different in different pairs of shoes. Biggest thing, stay relaxed. A very common issue that we see is just running super, super stiff. So not allowing the body to have that natural rotation of the shoulders all the way through the hips, all the way through those legs. So thinking about relaxing, especially when you're dealing with very long or more intense efforts. Yes. So clenching down, squeezing your muscles, squeezing your fists is not going to help you go faster. Uh, We gave you plenty of cues in our bonus miles of ways that you can think about top to bottom, head to toes, staying relaxed and staying calm so that you can improve that run form and efficiency. But when in doubt, just go through the checklist from top of your head all the way down to your feet and remind yourself to be relaxed. Relax your face, relax your shoulders, relax your arms, relax your back, your hips, relax your legs, and keep it moving. And then bring us your potato chips. (laughs) (laughs) Right in the waistband. (laughs) We're going to have runners who do that next week probably. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Coach Quip, original music performed by Mend. Follow us online on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Edge Athlete Lounge. Our podcast lives in the blog section of our website. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, and you can check out the show notes for additional ways to contact us. Ready, set, onward we go.